prior to the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, many great events are going to transpire. But one notable characteristic of those days is mentioned in the Gospels, in that we're told men's hearts will be failing them for fear. There's going to be a lot of fear in the world. Perhaps there's already a lot of fear in the world tonight. But certainly this is a feature of the last days. People will be afraid prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, it is a remarkable fact that this was also a feature of life in the time before Christ's first advent, before the first appearance of our Lord upon the earth. We are told in Scripture, in fact in all three of the portions that were read in our hearing tonight, that there were those in whose hearts there was great fear. Now we think of the events at Bethlehem, we think of the coming of our Saviour as a little baby to dwell among men. At that particular time, as we noted this morning, angels had a great part to play in announcing the birth of Christ. But at that time, when the angels appeared, there was great fear in the hearts of those to whom they spoke. Great fear filled the hearts of Joseph, of Mary, and of the shepherds in the field as they heard of the coming of the Savior. On three occasions, we read about the angel of the Lord. As I say, they're found in Matthew chapter 1, in Luke's Gospel chapter 1, and in Luke's Gospel chapter 2. We have the angel of the Lord speaking and saying, Fear not! in connection with the first advent of Christ, His coming into the world. And I believe that in these fear nots, there is a clear message for us today. And I therefore just want to simply speak tonight on the fear nots of Christmas. In the first place, I want us to go to the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, and from verse 8, the Bible tells us that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now some have pointed out that this fact would really tend to make us think that the Lord was not born on December 25th. That may or may not be the case. It's really not that important. But the shepherds were outdoors. They were sleeping outdoors, watching over the flock. So the temperature must have been such that it allowed them to do that safely and with comfort. But it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. It means that they were very, very, very frightened. No doubt you would be if the sky was lit up with the glory of the Lord as it was at that time. This was no mere flash of moonlight. This was not uh, one of these strange 
events that could sometimes happen where there was some sort of a meteor or some kind of a bright shooting star. This was something more than that. And it caused great fear in their hearts. Verse 10 says, The angel said unto them, Fear not, or as we would say today, Do not be afraid. For, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Here we have the fear in the heart of the watchers in the meadow. They kept watch over their flocks by night in the field. The watchers of the meadow. Why were they afraid? We can certainly conjecture as to why they were afraid. Certainly, one thing that would come before us that would cause us to think it would cause fear in their hearts is that they were not used to this kind of contact with the spiritual world. Obviously, they were not used to angels appearing in the sky to them every day of the week. In fact, it probably had never happened before. And it scared them. I would imagine that these were men who were not easily frightened. Usually eastern shepherds had a lot to contend with by means of predators. We know that David, for example, fought with the lion and the bear. Now, I've never had to face a lion, nor have I ever had to face a bear. I've seen large bears a few times. One ran out in front of our house one day a few years ago. And I'll never forget it. As he scurried up into our neighbor's driveway, I'd never seen anything like it. I actually thought I was dreaming. And after I saw it, I thought, why didn't I have my camera? Why didn't I have a video running of that? That's not something you see every day. But shepherds in Palestine would have had to contend with bears. They had to contend with lions. The lion is the king of the jungle. David, we know fought with the lion and with the bear, and was able to slay them by means of a weapon called a sling. So I imagine that these shepherds who would be used to that type of thing were not easily frightened. But here they came in contact with the supernatural. And it scared them. And can I not just say on this point that That's like many today in our world, in the sense that they are not comfortable in a spiritual atmosphere. You know there are people who, if you give them an invitation along to a gospel service, if it was in a tract or a leaflet form, you'd think you'd brought a rattlesnake out of your pocket. That's the truth. There are people who are not at home in church. They're certainly not at home in the company of God's people. They're not comfortable with spiritual things. They're not comfortable in a supernatural setting. They are, if I could say it this way, afraid of any contact with God. Now these shepherds were people who were getting on with their ordinary lives that night when God intervened. And that's sometimes the way it is with people. They're just getting on with their ordinary lives. They're going about their business and suddenly God steps into their lives in an unusual way. 
I've read often of that happening in days of revival, where people who hitherto had no interest at all in the things of God suddenly were affected spiritually and stricken by the Spirit of God with conviction. Now sometimes the Lord steps into people's lives in a providential way to get their attention. You know, for example, there's a man who was riding on a beast into Damascus who was intending to kill Christians or at least throw them into prison. And something happened to him, Saul of Tarsus. God very suddenly stepped into his life and changed him in a remarkable way, intervened in Saul's life to such an extent that he fell from his beast and he rose from the earth a different man completely. The idea that Saul was in some sort of a quest to find Christ is a myth. Saul wasn't interested in the Savior prior to that day, other than doing whatever harm he could to the name of Christ and to the witness of Christ's church. But that's how God can work. The Lord can intervene suddenly and cause men who hitherto have had no interest to listen to the gospel. And surely that's something that we as believers should be praying for. That there would be a God consciousness that would come upon people that they've never hitherto experienced. And here the shepherds were brought to listen to a message. And actually it was a gospel message. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, I bring you good tidings. Isn't that what the gospel is? Good tidings, glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? The gospel is about the person of Jesus. A Savior. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, the Bible says, reading in verse 41, that Andrew, one of the disciples of John, first findeth his own brother Simon, that's Peter, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. There's the person of Jesus. He's the Christ. Mashiach, the Messiah, that great prophet which was to come. That's the message that the angel brought. Unto you is born this day in the city of David one who is the Christ. There's the person of Jesus. That's what you hear about when the gospel is preached. The gospel is not just a bunch of facts and figures. It's not just theological statements. The gospel is bound up and the emphasis in the gospel is upon a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the angel effectively preaching about the person of Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the anointed. Literally is what it means. But as well as that, there's the position of Jesus. Because he's referred to as the Lord. A Savior which is Christ, the anointed, the Lord. That's his position. He is the Sovereign. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 8. 
describes him in this way. None of the princes of this world knew. Had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the Lord of glory. He's the sovereign. He is one who came to reign and to rule in men's lives. Christ the Lord. Oh, we believe in the Lordship of Christ. And you don't make Him the Lord. I hear people say, well, you need to make Him Lord of your... No, you don't make Him anything. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Sovereign. That's the position of Jesus. And then the angel effectively preached the Gospel to the watchers of the meadow in this word, Saviour. There's the purpose of Jesus. The person, Christ. The position, the Lord. The purpose, Savior. And that's His name. And when we call Him Savior, the little chorus says, And when we call Him Savior, and when we call Him Savior, we call Him by His name. Matthew chapter 1 records the visit of the angel to Joseph. He had to tell Joseph, look, fear not, Joseph. We'll come to that in a moment. But he said, take Mary, because that which is conceived in hers of the Holy Ghost, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, look, it's capitalized in your authorized version, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Old Testament Joshua. It means Savior. Or literally, Jehovah is Savior. Jesus. Jehovah is Savior. And so you have right here in this description, one is born, which is the Savior. It's pointing to his death. How is he going to be the Savior? In what way is he Savior? Well, Bethlehem was in order to Calvary. As I said this morning, the manger was in order to the cross. And here's a wonderful message to deal with fear in human hearts. Here's good tidings. Here's the most blessed news. Here's the gospel of God's grace. Romans 14 and verse 17, the apostle puts it like this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, the gospel is a message of great joy. And therefore it's not something for men to be afraid of. It's a joyous thing. And every believer can testify, even with the apostle Peter, that the gospel brings Joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Listen to this. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith even The salvation of your souls. This is a message 
of good tidings of great joy. For that's the result of salvation. Rejoicing with joy unspeakable. It can't be expressed. It's something that we can't really tell out as we would like to. Years ago in England there was a man who was well known in Cornish circles down that part of England called Billy Bray. Billy Bray was a godless individual until the Lord got a hold of him and saved him. And then he became known by many as Mr. Hallelujah. Because when Billy got saved, he used to express his joy in the Lord all the time. And people would see old Billy Bray walking down the street, almost skipping and singing, singing unto the Lord hymns of praise and speaking to the Lord with great joy in his heart. He had joy in his countenance and people saw this. Some of them thought he was out of his head, of course, as they do. But old Billy Bray was not out of his head. Billy Bray had fallen in love with Christ. And he was a man who showed that joy in everything that he did. You know, when Billy Bray was preaching, God used him in such a mighty way that a lot of the tin miners in Cornwall got saved. And they were such a godless crew, normally, that the mules that used to carry the material from the mine after men were converted, get this, they couldn't understand the commands that the men were giving them because they were not laced with oaths and curses and swearing. Poor old beasts didn't know what they were saying because they were used getting cursed at. And now these men had been changed by the grace of God. Billy Bray's ministry is well worth studying. But he was a man that was full of joy. I know that we would have more joy in our hearts. Oh, that we would have more joy on our countenance that people would see that we've been with Jesus. And I want you to see here that whenever the angels spoke to these men in the field, these watchers of the meadow, when they heard the message, the Bible says in verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But notice verse 20. And the shepherds returned, look at this, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Here they are, and they're being told by the angel, here's good tidings of great joy. And they followed up on those tidings, and they went to see Christ for themselves, and they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. They were no longer afraid, were they? And that's what happens when a person comes to Christ. The Lord will give them life. He'll give them life more abundantly. So we would urge sinners, come with haste. Just like the shepherds did. They didn't waste any time. They came with haste. They hurried up that they might come to see Jesus. The watchers of the meadow 
and their fear. Someone wrote a little poem. What was the first angelic word that the startled shepherds heard? Fear not, beloved, it comes to you as a loving message most sweet and true, as true for you as it was for them in the lonely fields of Bethlehem, and as sweet today as it was that night when the glory dazzled their mortal sight. Good tidings that the Lord had come. He had come to be the Savior, Christ the Lord. There's the fear not of the watchers of the meadow. And then there's the fear not amid the wonder of the maid. Look there at the first chapter of Luke from verse 26. We read this earlier about Gabriel sent from God to Nazareth. Came with a message for one woman. She's called a virgin, verse 27, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and as well as what he said in verses 28 and 29, he said in verse 30, Fear not Mary. Now why did he say that? Because verse 29 records, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now I find that remarkable. It's not that she was troubled because she saw an angel. To be perfectly frank with you, if I saw an angel, I've never seen an angel before, it would probably trouble me. I'd be afraid. But that's not what was the source of her fear. It says that she was troubled when she saw him. She was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Why is he saying this to me? She was afraid of the message. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Mary was troubled. The maid was wondering what was really going on. I think she was afraid of a special relationship. She was afraid of what was going to be a new and a personal experience. Not just that of being a mother, because she had never had a baby before. And though that's never been my experience, I'll take it as read from the ladies concerned that it is quite a fearful thing. The first time that you're expecting a child, I can imagine that it brings a lot of fear to the heart as well as joy. But this was an experience of being the mother of God's Son. She was going to be the mother of the Christ child. And that is what troubled her. Now there's a verse in Luke chapter 11. It's verse 27. And it says there, It came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. What a great blessing has come upon your mother. That's really what they were saying. And what they said was actually true. That's true. Blessed is the womb that bare thee. She was blessed. That's what the angel said. Thou hast found favour with God. 
Oh, you're a blessed person, Mary. In fact, he uses the term in verse 28 of Luke chapter 1, Thou that art highly favoured. You could translate that much graced. You've known much grace from the Lord. Now we too are called by grace to an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A spiritual relationship. The Bible speaks of this in various ways. I am the vine, you are the branches. There's a close connection between the Lord and His people. We are referred to as members of His body in 1 Corinthians 12 and again in Ephesians chapter 5. And there we are called His wife, the bride, the church is the bride of Christ. These are all intimate and personal relationships, spiritual relationships. And again, in Matthew chapter 12, from verse 46, the Word of God says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother, there's Mary, and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So the Lord in the days of his flesh had a mother, Mary. He had brothers and sisters. But spiritually here, he says, those who do the will of God are his brothers and sisters and his mother. Spiritual relationship. We should not be afraid of personal dealings with the Lord. Because to be a Christian is to have Christ to enter your heart and your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. There is a blessed, intimate, spiritual relationship between the soul that repents and believes and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that's wrought by the Spirit of God in regeneration. Being born from above, being born again, is to be born into the family of God and of Christ. But notice concerning the wonder of the maid, not only was she afraid of a special relationship, but she manifested a submissive response. Notice how Mary, of course, was startled by all of this. She, she could hardly take it in that the Lord was going to favor her in this way, but she was ready for it. She was willing for it. And in verse number 38, the scripture says, And Mary said, this is to the angel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The handmaid of the Lord. Here's somebody who's ready to do God's bidding, to be taken by the hand and for the Lord to use her as he would will. She was ready for the will of God, she was ready to have her life absolutely transformed. And so it would be from that moment on, as soon as she began to 
be with child, her life was radically altered. And would be from then on. She would always be known as the mother of Jesus. And when we come to Christ, when we're willing to have him as our Lord and Savior, there's a willingness, therefore, to have our lives transformed. There's a willingness for the will of God. Any, any person who says to me, well, I want to come to Christ, but there's part of my life I want to hold back. I don't want him to have all of my life. I'm going to say that person is not coming to Christ. I remember the late Dr. Cairns speaking about a particular instance of someone who said that they wanted to be saved but they were involved in an illicit relationship. And when he counseled that person, told that person, if you come to Christ, that illicit relationship has to stop. Not tomorrow, not next week, but now, right now. That person said, no, I'm not willing for that. End of conversation. End of conversation. No more counseling. That's a person who was not willing to come to Christ on Christ's terms. See, the Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. So there has to be this willingness. And of course, the Bible tells us in Psalm 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Just like Mary was willing. Those who come to know the Savior are going to be willing for the will of God in their lives. The question is, will you receive Christ as Lord and Savior on His terms? The wonder of the maid. Fear not, Mary. But then there's a third thing, and we mentioned this as we read Matthew chapter 1. There's the fear not that's connected with the worry of the man. Now they say all men are worriers. I don't know if that's true or not, but here's a man who was really worried. His name was Joseph. And the Bible is telling us about the birth of Jesus that was read earlier in our hearing. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was in this wise. In other words, this is how it was. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, a very strong form of engagement, before they came together, they were not yet living as man and wife, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example. He didn't want Mary to come under any kind of reproach or disgrace. Because here's a young woman. She's expecting a child, but she's not married to any man. What are the public going to think? What are people going to say? Well, he knew what they would say. He didn't want her to be made a public example. And so the Bible says he was minded to put her away Privily. In other words, he wasn't going to have a public bill of divorcement. He was going to make sure this happened in a very secretive and private way to protect her reputation. So Joseph was afraid. The worry of the man can be seen here in that the angel said, verse 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Let me put your mind at rest, Joseph. 
The child that she is carrying is not the child of any human father. She is with child of the Holy Ghost. This is God's work. But you see, Joseph anticipated opposition. That was the source of his worry. Verse 19 makes that clear. He was afraid of what other people would say, quite rightly. It would be a shame and disgrace, because they wouldn't understand anything about the virgin birth. They wouldn't believe in any such thing. People would not believe that he wasn't the child's father. Of course they wouldn't believe that. They would immediately accuse him of that. And by the way, there are apostates who believe that. There was an evil man called Nels Fair who taught. I can hardly say it. That the Lord Jesus Christ was the bastard son of a Roman soldier who was encamped nearby in a Roman garrison. I've got to believe hell is not nearly hot enough for men like that. Such wickedness. To think of such a thing. To fly in the face of Holy Scripture. Just because he's a man of unbelief who doesn't think it's possible for there to be a virgin birth. Therefore he comes up with this evil and wicked thought. That the Lord Jesus had a human father. He had no such thing. But rather, my Bible tells me that he was the Son of God and that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the Holy Ghost. Look with me at what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13. See, during the lifetime of Christ, there were people who still believed this nonsense. That he had a human father. Matthew 13 And verse 55. Actually, we'll read the verse before it as well. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Notice it was in his own country. Insomuch that they were astonished and they said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? How did he get such learning and such understanding? Is not this the carpenter's son? That's what they believed. He's the carpenter's son. Now how do you know that people believe that? Because I've read the Bible and in Luke chapter 3 and verse 23 you have words in parenthesis that are really important for us to consider. Luke chapter 3 verse 23 And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age being, look at the parenthesis, as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. I am so glad that those words in brackets are there. The Holy Ghost has preserved the great truth of the virgin birth in this verse. If it had just said, being the son of Joseph, that would have concurred with everything else that people believe. But it is being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. Well, that's what they thought. That wasn't true. 
And we're told furthermore in Luke chapter 4 verse 22, all bear him witness and wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? See, there it is again. That's what they believed. That was the common opinion of the day. They didn't believe in the virgin birth. Just like people today don't believe in the virgin birth. But it was true. And again in John chapter 8 and verse 41. These smart Alex were arguing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said, ye do the deeds of your father, then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, why did they say that? Why do you think they said that? We be not born of fornication. Well, the implication is clear. They were accusing him of that. That's what they were saying here. We're not like you. We weren't born of fornication. But that was a calumny. That was a lie from the pit of hell. But Joseph, you see, anticipated that opposition. And I think that people who are not saved, who think about being saved, are quite right to fear being identified with Christ. They're quite right to consider the opposition that it will bring with it. Because that's exactly what happens when you come to Christ. It's not like Joel Osteen, your best life now. It could actually be your worst nightmare if you come to the Lord. In the sense that people will be against you within your own family, within your circle of friends. There are those that the Bible tells us will put you from their company because of your association with Jesus Christ. Some of us have experienced that, haven't we? What it means to become identified with Jesus Christ There's opposition that comes to you on that account. And let me tell you, if there's no opposition, I would have to put a question mark over the salvation experience. Because the Apostle Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All of them. Jesus said, In the world ye shall have tribulation. If the world hate you, it's because the world hated me before you. That's the way it is. It is the way the master went. Should not the servant tread it still? Are you worried about the opposition that will bring to your life if you come to Christ? You're right to be worried about that. But remember this. The Lord will bless those who stand on the side of Christ. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The Lord Jesus said, Great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Those who stand with Christ will suffer the scorn and abuse of the world. Do you fear that? I'm always worried about men, big evangelical celebrities. They're popular everywhere they go. They're loved by everyone. They're opposed by no one. You know why? Because they're not standing for Christ four square on his word outside the camp bearing his reproach. There's a kind of a Christianity today that's a hail fellow well met Christianity where everybody pats you on the back. 
And everybody wants a piece of you. As a preacher, I don't need to worry about that. I've never had that experience and don't expect to at any time soon. Now I know the Lord can send revival. And I live in the hope of that. But I don't think I'll ever pastor a big massive church. I really don't. Because I have a penchant for chasing people away. Not because I want to. But because people don't like the truth. That's a fact. People don't want the truth. You know most people today don't want the stand that our church has historically taken. That's why our churches are small today as a rule. I know it's not always the case. There are notable exceptions. But usually, in the day in which we live, usually, when the parking lots are overflowing as if there was a shopping mall there or a casino, you'll know that the truth is probably not being stood for there. Because it is not popular to stand with Christ. You'll suffer the scorn and the abuse of the world. Joseph anticipated opposition. That was really part of the worry of the man. But notice, in spite of that, yes, he anticipated opposition, but he acted obediently. Matthew one twenty four tells us, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, because all of this happened in his dreams, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He was not afraid to be identified with Mary, the mother of our Lord, because the angel had told him that the child that was to be born of her was of the Holy Ghost. He acted obediently. Yes, he was afraid initially. But the fear not of the angel quietened his heart. Now God bids men to receive Christ. He bids men to repent and believe the gospel. To turn from their sins and to embrace the Savior. And when they do that, it's called gospel obedience. Do you ever notice how the Bible puts it? When it speaks of the judgment that's going to come upon wicked men. In in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's remarkable this language. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. From verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is the second coming of Christ. Notice it. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on who? On them that know not God, and, crucially, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that that receive not, or that don't come to the gospel. It says that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's a command in the gospel. And the command is to repent and to believe. And those that are lost need to be obedient to God's word. Fear not. Come to Christ and be saved. 
You know, I really feel that there are people in the world that are just like those that are spoken of in John chapter 12. The Bible speaks of them in verses 42 and 43 of that chapter. And it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So what does it mean when it says in verse 42, they believed on him? It was a head belief. They professed belief in him. But I don't myself believe that this was a true faith that they had because they were afraid to confess the Lord. They wouldn't confess him openly. And Jesus said, those that don't confess me before men, they'll not be confessed by my Father. I'll not own them as mine. I'll say, I never knew you. Because they said they never knew him. They were afraid that they were going to get put out of the synagogue. The word that we would use is excommunicated. That was the case in John chapter 9. The blind man, they didn't like what he said. They didn't like the fact that he was healed by Christ and he testified to it. And the Bible actually uses that term that if any man did confess that Jesus was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. That's the language, John 9, verse 22. What does that mean, put out of the synagogue? Excommunicated. You were done if you said that you were on the side of Christ. Yes, there were people in Christ's day who were afraid to confess him. They were afraid of the opposition. But not Joseph. God dealt with his fears. And God can deal with the fears of men and women today. He can bring them to Christ. He can cause them to overcome that natural fear. Fear of opposition. Fear of what people might say. And take their stand on the side of Jesus. Is it not a remarkable thing in closing that those that are spoken of as being cast into the lake of fire, that list of people in Revelation chapter 21 begins with the fearful. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful, those who are afraid, and unbelieving, and the abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But the fearful, those who are afraid, those who will not step out on the side of Christ, all fear will take men and women to hell. But like the shepherds, we trust that folks who hear God's word will come with haste to the Christ. Like Mary, they will say, be it unto me according to thy word. And like Joseph, they will do as they are bidden by God and embrace Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. The fear knots of Christmas. And the Lord take away all fears 
even this very night, for his own glory. Amen.